Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for waking us up this morning, for having purpose for our life. I pray that you would give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, that our hearts would have fertile soil. Father, Father, that our minds could comprehend your word, that our feet would be eager to run with obedience. Father, I ask that you would move powerfully, that it just wouldn't be a Sunday where we are distracted, but Father, as we approach a very uh, scary scripture, that you would move in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I've um, been planning, um, or as I was planning this sermon over the past week and a half, my heart has become broken, um, highly broken, because it's one of the scariest scriptures that we ever approach. Um, I think it's very scary for those who would consider themselves believers, those who would consider themselves Christians. And um, yeah, it's just, um, it's scary to me. One of the reasons why it's scary is, um, there's a scripture out of 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18, that says this, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the godly and the sinner? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What often happens, and within teachings within the, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's modern movement of Christianity, but just within the movement of Christianity is easy faith, as we said uh, last week, um, just simple grace and um, easy grace where people don't have to own any righteousness. Now, we, we never make it because of our righteousness, right? It's always because of Jesus. But what's interesting here is, is the book of Peter here is pointing to the fact that it's hard for the righteous to be saved. Reminds me somewhat of the parable of the 10 virgins, if you guys are familiar with that. You have 10 virgins, and what these virgins end up doing is they're getting ready to go to a big festival or a big party, right? A big wedding festival. And while they're heading to this party, five of them have their lamps, and they bring extra oil. And then another five of them don't bring the extra oil, right? They think that what they have is enough. So what do they end up doing? They start trekking. They make their journey, and while the ten virgins are on their journey, what ends up happening is they get halfway there, and five of the virgins' oil runs out. But the five who were ready, they had the extra oil. So what the five virgins did is they said, hey, give, give me some of your oil. And they're like, we're not going to do that. So they ended up leaving the area, right, and they went back to go pick up more oil. While they went to go pick up more oil, the master opens up his door and he lets those into the party. Once the five virgins who came um, or had to go get more oil, once they came to the, the door, they knocked on it. And the master said, I don't, know, I don't know you. I'm not sure who you are. I never knew you. Away from me. And what's interesting about that is these were ten virgins. And when virgins are um, spoken about within Scripture, it talks about this righteousness that's over them, a purity about them. So there were ten pure beings. There were ten pure women. Five of them were able to enter the party, and five of them were not. 
So it's not just about how righteous we are or how righteous we think we become within our own being, right? It's hard for righteous people to make it within themselves. So in today's scripture, it's what I believe to be the scariest scripture um, in the Bible. Now, of course, there's many scary things in scripture. I mean, the book of Revelation is really scary, extremely scary. There's uh, many things that's going to happen here on earth that are not going to be fun. There's apostasy, there's war, there's famine, there's death, there's martyrdom, there's an antichrist, there's the beast, there's tribulation, there's final judgment. The book of Revelation is horribly frightening when you read it. But that, to me, doesn't compare to how scary today's scripture is. It's scary because it's self-deception. It's scary because there's people who think that they are righteous within themselves, that there's a self-righteousness of good works that allows them to make it to heaven. So if you have your Bibles, our second to last sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. It'll be on the screen if you do not have your Bibles. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. That's horribly scary. Did we not say, Lord, Lord? Did we not prophesy? Did we not deliver demons? Did we not perform miracles? It's hard to even consider the horror that these people will go through when they hear these words. These people will have lived their whole life or a piece of their life thinking that they were following Jesus. They thought that they were doing the right things. They thought that they were serving Jesus. Yet Jesus will tell them, away from me, I never knew you. Terrifying, isn't it? This scripture is terrifying. There are people who do things unto God. They think that they're serving God, and there's going to be many people who face him, who he says, away from me, I never knew you. What if someone in this room hears that? What if someone in this room one day when they face Jesus hears, away from me, I never knew you? What if our neighbor hears that? What if a family member hears that? What if someone in one of the communities that we represent hears that? Away from me, I never knew you. I too am liable to this scripture as well. What if I have been so self-deceived about who I'm serving that one day when I face Jesus, he says, away from me, I never knew you. This is pretty sobering, isn't it? We should all be feeling a little bit of questions. Who have I lived my life for this week? Who am I living my life for this morning? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I make sure that Jesus never says to me, away from me, I never knew you? How do I make sure that there's not self-deception within my life that I think that I'm living for the king when in reality I'm not? How do I make sure that I'm not counterfeit? Now, the mystery that we all must consider is how could a group of people who prophesy, who perform miracles, and deliver demons have never been known by Christ? Those are really churchy things, are they not? Now, 
rhetorically asking you the question, how many of you guys have prophesied before? How many of you guys have seen a miracle take place? How many of you guys have delivered a demon from someone? Those within um, the church would really be seen as like salvation is the, the miracle of miracles. Amen? That Jesus sent his son to die on the cross so that we could live with him forever. That's the miracle of miracles. But underneath salvation, performing miracles, delivering demons, and prophesying, those are powerful things. How could people who are doing these things one day face Jesus and he say, away from me, I never knew you? Because what the church has done and what pastors have done with this scripture before is they've said, well, hey, it's not about just coming to church regularly. It's not about just coming to church and raising your hands. It's not about just giving 3%. It's not about just serving once a month. What these people in Scripture that Jesus is talking about did far greater than just attend church. Sure, they regularly attended. They probably gave 10 to 20%. They might have been really giving people. These are people that actually said, Lord, Lord, so they identified with him as the Savior. Right? They prophesied. They spoke something now that in the future happened. Demons were delivered and miracles happened. The pinnacle of, almost the pinnacle of faith. See, these people believed that they were saved, yet they did not live out their faith somehow. James tells us that faith without works is dead, and dead faith isn't saving faith. Yet, life with Christ is about grace through faith, not works, so that no one can boast. But Jesus furthers all that to say, if you love him, he will keep his commands. So you're like, you're taking me in circles. It's not about, it's not about works, but it, faith without works is dead. And if Jesus if we love Jesus, we'll follow his commands. What's it about? Well, it's all about him, and we're going to get there. But somehow, there are going to be people who call on the name of Jesus. Just not say, I know God. Not just say, I know of a God. You know, a lot of these athletes on TV, you appreciate that they identify with a higher being, but I would much rather see these athletes on TV identify with Jesus. What we often see is these athletes say, to God be the glory. Well, who's God, right? What God are you talking about? I don't know what God you serve. I know there's one true God. Nevertheless, um, somehow these people will never enter heaven. So this causes me to ask myself hard questions. Do these people who think that they are Christians cry out in a fake way? Because there's going to be many people who Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. So do these many people cry out in a fake way? Do they truly understand their need for Christ and then backslide? Were they saved and then fell away? Is that even possible? These are questions that I have to ask because we want to make sure that we're best equipped that when Jesus sees us face to face that he says, good in here, you good, get in here, you good and faithful servant. Amen? Aren't those the words we want to hear? Get in here, you good and faithful servant. So what do we know, bare minimum, is according to this, this scripture, there will be counterfeit Christians. Scary. So what do I want to avoid today is making a simple blanket statement that these believers were never saved, as many teachers have said before. Many people, even within my own rationale, 
have stated, well, clearly Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 is just talking about people who were never saved. I preached it that way. Now, what I told you is I wanted to try to preach it a different way to challenge my own thoughts, right? But it was, it's easy just to say, well, these people were just never saved, so since they were never saved, they never knew Jesus, were never known by Jesus, and um, he said, away from me. But let's look at Scripture again. These people said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? See, the word Lord is often used as a term of respect. But these people used it twice, which means that they saw Jesus as Lord over all. It wasn't just Lord as in just a simple master or your boss. This was Lord, Lord, like you are a supreme being. So how many of you guys believe that Jesus is Lord over all, participating? Or guess what? We have faith just like the demons do. Because the demons believe that Jesus is Lord, but guess what they also do? They tremble. So sometimes the demons do a little bit more than we do. They recognize that he's Lord over all, but yet they trem tremble. Nevertheless, these people saw and understood that Jesus was the Son of God. They understood that he, he, he was going to or did die on the cross for their sins. And that he rose three days later. It seems as if these people would have professed faith in Jesus because they used the term Lord, Lord. And they had accompanying works, as we see in Scripture. So I would feel a whole lot better if I was talking, or if Jesus was talking about people that were laissez-faire about their faith. Jesus isn't talking about the laissez-faire people right now. Jesus is talking about there's going to be people who were committed, who, who lived their life, who regularly attended church, who went to all the prayer meetings, who fasted 40 days, who shared the gospel with their neighbors, who prophesied, who performed miracles, and who delivered demons. Jesus is talking to people like you and I today. And Jesus is using this sermon to make sure that we live on the straight and the narrow each day, that we live in a relationship with him each day. See, it's simple. It would be simple if the scripture was just talking about those who live on the edge, those who live on the edge of church life. And this scripture wouldn't be scary for either of us, any of us. I mean, one would be understand how those people are deceived. But these people were anything but laissez-faire. Not only did they call him Lord, Lord, but they also tried to justify themselves, which says that they're surprised. Right? But Lord, did we not? Did we not? Did we not? So... They try to justify themselves. Like, what do, you, what, what do you mean? Why am I not hearing, get in here, you good and faithful servant? Look at all these things that I've done. I've served you. And he still says, away from me, I never do you. See, some people have said that these people were lying about their claims See, some people have tried to rationalize how people who prophesy, who perform miracles and deliver demons wouldn't make it to heaven. So what some theologians, which I think is very manipulative, try to say is, well, they were lying to Jesus. Do you think Jesus is going to let them lie and not rebuke them in his presence? If they were lying, Jesus would have rebuked their claim. So these people were telling the truth about their life, the things that they did, the accomplishments. See, um, there are many examples in Scripture where people do things in the name of Jesus or in the name of God, but they still don't know him. Philippians 1, 15 through 17. Is it true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill? Oh, sorry, it is true. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So Jesus is still being preached. Some out of selfish ambition, others out of pure motives. But just because Jesus is being preached doesn't mean that that person's heart is in alignment with who he is. So Paul addresses those who don't preach Christ out of pure motives. Yet Paul rejoices that Christ is being preached in spite of their motives. Acts 19, 13 through 17. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva or Sceva, um, a Jewish priest or chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was uh, leaped on overpowered them and prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and the fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So there was a man whose job it was to deliver demons, right? That's what he did. Who wants that job in here? We have a sign-up sheet in the commons. Um, so this man's job was to d deliver demons, and he still had a job, which then suggests that he had some success at it, right? But in this story, he stumbled upon a demon with a little bit more power. And it was evident that he wasn't born again, as they would have been familiar with him, because he would have, been, uh, he would have had the living presence of God in him. So he says, look, Paul, I know, but you, I don't. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know, but you, I don't. Why did he know Paul and not know this man? Because the presence of Christ wasn't living in him. Point being, doing godly things doesn't prove you're saved. This man was doing godly things, and it didn't mean that he was saved. See, here in the Sermon on the Mountain, these people who Jesus denied has it all wrong. They trusted in self-righteousness. And the fact of the matter is, no matter how good we think we are, or no matter how good the world thinks you are, or your mama, or your dad, or your best friend, or your spouse, no matter how good people think that you are, you're not. Our righteousness is nothing but a filthy rag towards Jesus. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that. But purity... And righteousness is only found in Christ. We can only come to God based upon the righteousness of Jesus. That's it. So how does Jesus respond to this group? How does Jesus respond to these people who try to argue with him about all of their good works? Verse 23, he says, well, plainly I tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. They did not know Jesus, and Jesus did not know them. Jesus knew ab about them, um, and they knew about Jesus as well, right? way I've shared with several of you before is um, we all know who um, LeBron James is in here, right? We know who he is. Barely, we barely know who LeBron James is. So we know who LeBron James is. Uh, Macy and I have been to a basketball game and watched LeBron James. 
So we know LeBron James. We've been to a basketball game, so we've attended a service. Um, I, I have purchased a um, Cavaliers t-shirt from Marshalls, so I've given to the organization, right? But, um, so I've attended a service, I've given to the organization, and I know who LeBron James is. So if I went out to Los Angeles right now, and during a basketball game, tried to walk into the stadium and yell for LeBron and say, hey, hey, LeBron, I know you, what would he say? I don't know who you are. And I'm like, wait a second, like, I've been to your games. I, I, I've attended your services. I've given to the organization. I shout your name every week. Be like, away from me, I don't know who you are, security. Pink slip this dude. See, just because we attend service, just because we give to an organization, just because we know the name of God, doesn't mean that he intimately knows us. Amen? And what he ends up telling these people is he says, look, away from me, I don't know you. It doesn't matter how much head knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how, much, um, how many church services you attend. It doesn't matter the works that you do unless we are adopted as his sons and daughters. The word new here is a Jewish idiom for intercourse. So those within the Jewish culture, when, when they would use the word no or new, they understood it as um, the way that Adam knew Eve, right? The way that Adam knew Eve, and the way that Adam knew Eve was very sexually. He and, or they, and that rumblings, like, you guys hear that rumbling? Should we get like super weird and spiritual about it? Because <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> um, I was going to say that, this might be the Russians. <laughs> but um, Jesus, or Adam and Eve, knew each other. Adam and Eve knew each other in a very intimate way. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, I, I need to know you the way that Adam knew Eve. I need to have this intimacy with you. And I don't know you that way. I don't know you that way. See, it's not about just um, three minutes a day. It's not about just prayer three minutes a day. It's not about just begrudgingly going through your Bible reading plan. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He wants us all to fall in love with him in a real way that brings honor to him in his whole being. To really know him, intimately know him. Now the question we must ask is how do we intimately get to know him? How do we, how do we become saved? How do we become born again? How do we make sure that we are in the faith? Well, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you failed the test? So what we have to do to make sure that we are saved is examine ourselves. Examine yourselves. Some think that they are saved because of they have Bible knowledge. Some think that they're saved because they went to VBS. Many think that they're saved because they're a good person. Some think that they're saved because they go to church, they tithe on occasions or they identify as a believer. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You and I must become God's children. Do you know, that God, do you know God personally as one of his children? Um, intellectual knowledge is not enough. Enough. 
Does Jesus know you? Does he have a personal relationship with you? As we've told the Bible Club kids, to have a personal relationship with Christ, it doesn't mean you just talk to him about the hard things. It doesn't mean that you just pray to him three minutes a day about your girlfriend or boyfriend breaking up with you or your parents not letting you play more PlayStation. If you really want to know Jesus, and that means you spend time with him. When you're in the car and you can choose Justin Bieber or sports radio or politics radio, you say, I don't want any of that. I want to spend time with you. And you tell God about your day and you tell God about your worries and you tell God about your love for him and you tell God about your frustrations and you create a personal history with the king. You create a history with the father. What history do you have with God? What history have you created with God this week to personally know him and be known by him? What time have you spent with him? Luke 9, verse 23 through 26. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, following Christ is something that we choose to do daily. Some people say it's a one-time decision. And I would say it's a daily choice. Amen? Choosing Christ is a daily choice. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Whoever denies themselves and takes up their cross and follows me daily. So did you pick up your cross this morning when you woke up? Did you deny yourself this morning? Daily, it's a daily decision. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk um, in the same manner he has walked. So how do we know that we are walking? How do we know that we are on the right path? We keep his commands. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show my mercy to them. How else do we know? Well, Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So one author says it this way. These were not people who uh, flagrantly broke the social moral code. They would be considered good citizens and fine church members. They would be considered good citizens and fine church members. But Jesus says they practice lawlessness. The word here is literally without law, referring to the law of God. For they had their own code of conduct. That is why self-righteousness is so dangerous. You believe you are doing what God wants, but his commandments have been twisted. That is why we have seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, or that is what we have seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, his commandments being twisted. 
Where have we twisted his commandments? Where have we looked for the loopholes? Where have we justified an action? Where have we said God's grace, where have we, yeah, credited God to have cheap grace? Where we've said, hey, God, God will forgive me if I do this. God knows that I'm struggling. God knows that I'm only a human. Now look, do I want to scare you into trying to have a works gospel? No. What I hope that we all consider here is that it's not about us. See, one day when we face Jesus, and um, I hope that I'm so trained and so surrendered that, one, he says, get in here, you good and faithful servant. But if Jesus ever asked, why should you, why should I let you enter? My response would not be that I prophesy, perform miracles, or deliver demons. My answer would be because of your son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was willing to die on the cross for my sins. That's my only justification. That's the only place that justification can ever be found is in Christ. See, some preachers emphasize the doctrine of the security of salvation so much that I think they give a false security of salvation. I remember growing up, I always heard that, well, you should know that you're going to heaven. Okay, um, well, how do I know? Well, put your faith in Jesus. Okay, well, my faith is in Jesus. Okay, I said it. I gave my life to Christ. So they're like, well, now you know you're going to heaven. Okay, so then they asked me, and I had no clue whether I was going to heaven or not, and they said, do you know if you're going to heaven? Yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because you said I'm supposed to know. So I guess I just know. Anyone ever just felt like they're going to heaven just because they're supposed to know that they're going to heaven? See, so many, so many teachers have taught us this false, false security of salvation that um, we never question our salvation. Now, do I want us to beat ourselves up? No. But Scripture tells us that we mentioned earlier to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in faith. So we are supposed to test ourselves. I think there's supposed to be a daily examining of our life because we're supposed to pick up our cross and deny ourselves each day. So this false security that I made a decision one day when I was six years old at VBS, when it, all my friends were shouting for Jesus, doesn't mean that I'm saved. And there's going to be many people who thought that they made one decision when they were four or when they were seven or when they were 17. They made one decision one day out of an emotional response and that the pastor said, now you can have eternal um, security in your salvation that they never chose to follow him each day. And what Jesus will say to those people is, away from me, I never knew you. It's scary. So I think it's nonsense that um, there's this eternal security preached in the sense of one decision, one time. Contrary, um, Scripture is clear that we need to examine ourselves to see if we're in faith. And that's what I want to ask us to do today, to examine ourselves. Are we really in the faith today? Are we really following Jesus today? Are you willing to get rid of anything that keeps you from loving him? Anything? What right now are you holding on to that's keeping you from fully loving him? See, today could be a life-changing moment for many of us. Today could be a life-changing moment for all of us. So today I call you to examine yourself and see that you're in faith. Are you trusting Christ or are you trusting something else? I would much rather you be unsure about your salvation and striving to work it out with fear and trembling than to blindly go on the rest of your life not knowing who God is truly, only to hear Jesus say, away from me, I never knew you, you evildoers. 
So you see the, um, the deceit in telling people that you can make a decision once and not follow him or, or just live however you want the rest of your life. What we need to do is we need to examine ourselves each day, align ourselves with him because we don't want people to hear those words. I don't want any of you to hear those words. We don't want our family to hear those words. So what I want to do is I just want to provide a space. I'm going to pray, and we're just going to provide a space for us to personally spend some time with God at the altar and um, get rid of things that are keeping us from loving him. Some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't need to respond at the altar. Well, maybe there's some pride in your life today that you need to get rid of, right? If, if there's an opportunity that I can meet God up here out of humility, I want to take it, right? If there's an op opportunity to humble myself and say, I don't have everything together, I want to take it. We must know the king in an intimate way and not be deceived in thinking that just because we've done good that we know God. So I'm going to pray, and you guys come up here and respond to God. Maybe some of you need to repent. Maybe some of you need to rededicate your life. Maybe some of you need to um, say, God, I need to give this to you. Maybe some of you just need to come up here and have a conversation with him and say, things are going pretty good. I pray that you'd keep me on the right path, the straight and the narrow. Um, if God's stirring in your heart to respond, respond today. So, Father, it's a scary scripture that people within the church community, the big kingdom church community, will think that they're living their life for you, but yet you will tell them, away, away from me, I never knew you. Father, but you say our job is to um, be obedient. If we love you, we will obey you. So I pray that you would help us understand how to be obedient this week. But I pray that right now, those who you're stirring up to respond, those who you're stirring up to um, ask for prayer, to repent, to come and have a conversation with you, Father, that you would give them the boldness to do that. Forgive us where we have um, thought of ourselves more highly than we ought. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so church isn't over. We still got 30 more minutes. So if we could put something light on or if Rob's here to play something light, um, we just want to provide a space for you guys to respond at the altar.
Father, we even just break off the lies that we have to be perfect. Now, I know that scripture says, be perfect as I am perfect. But Father, um, what you're pointing to is that we, we can only be perfect because of you. So Father, I, I break off every lie from the enemy in Jesus' name that um, says that we have to be, uh, that we have to be, um, or just, just the guilt that's coming, Father, the guilt in our thoughts of the sin in our lives. Father, may we just give you that sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. Father, I pray that you protect us from the enemy's um, accusations towards us. Father, I pray that in this moment, whether at the altar or in our seats, we give you whatever's keeping us from loving you. Father, I pray that 100% of this congregation and 100% of the communities that we represent, Father, will hear from you, get in here, you good and faithful servant. Father, may the words of um, today's scripture challenge us. Father, um, thank you that next week's scripture kind of solidifies um, the answer to this week's message. Just wanted to see if anyone had any uh, scripture that they felt like God's putting on their heart that uh, that they need to share. So you guys respond as um, you feel led, and uh, we're going to sing a song. So the rest of you who are not responding, you can stand and sing the song with us. After the song's over, service is dismissed.
precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our hope, our peace. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing, O flow. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Church, you are dismissed.